We're going to look today, continuing our series on eternal security, and today we're going to look at understanding the gift of salvation itself. Uh, pretty much everyone agrees that we are saved by faith. <coughs> However, those who believe that you can lose your salvation when discussing this issue uh, ask a very important question. Uh, if our salvation is gained through believing in Christ, doesn't it make sense that salvation can be lost if we quit believing? Uh, if a Christian loses his faith to the point that they don't recognize Christ's death on the cross as payment for sin, doesn't that mean that they've lost their salvation as well? And John chapter 6 verse 47 tells us, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. If you don't believe on Jesus, doesn't that mean you don't have eternal life? They may ask. And many have even argued that the term believe when referring to the salvation, at least in these verses, is always in the present tense as it is here in this verse in John chapter 6. So by logic, we, might, uh, need to, uh, we must need to continue believing. Um, as convincing as these arguments are, uh, they, uh, they're, they're fraught with problems. And there's holes in the, th in the logic of it all. And the Bible very clearly teaches us that once someone has trusted in Christ, God's love for his children is so great that even those who walk away from him cannot slip from his fingers. Let's look closely at our text here in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, let's look at five R's for understanding the gift of salvation. Five R's for understanding the gift of salvation. Let's look at, first of all, number one, the reason. The reason. That is the reason for our salvation. I know because we needed to be saved, because we have sin in our life. We have needs to be forgiven. I know, understand that. That's but that is not the reason we are saved. That is the reason we needed to be saved. <laughs> okay? Uh, so let's ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about the relationship between believing and salvation? And we know that faith is a key ingredient in gaining salvation. But I want to see the connection between faith and salvation. Let's take our text verses here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 again. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved. We'll stop there for just a minute. What, according to these verses here, is the reason that we're saved? Look again at verse 4. He says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he hath loved us, hath quickened us. I skipped over a part of those verses, but... It wasn't because of his mercy, although he is rich in mercy, as the verses say. The word for there, translated 52 times as because, by the way, in the King James Version at least, this tells us the reason. This tells us the reason for our salvation. What was the reason Jesus saved us? It was because of his great love wherewith he loved us. That's the reason. Paul doesn't say because of our great abiding faith with which we trusted him. No, because of his great love. Faith is not the reason God saves us. The reason he saves us is because he loves us. Amen? Okay, we see the reason for our salvation. Let's look at number two, the root of our salvation. I wanted ours, so I kind of stretched this one maybe a little bit. But on God's side, what does it all boil down to? What is the root of this? What is the driving force? What is the motivation or the motive power that drives us to be saved? We did nothing to motivate God to save us, that's for sure. 
And Romans 5.8 tells us, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it was no good that drove God to, to save us. We were yet sinners. Yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are sinners. But what was the power used putting love into action? Verse 5. He says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us with Christ. We were dead in sins, yet he quickened us. He made us alive again together with Christ. And then in verse 5, we see a parenthetical statement. There is a statement in parentheses that's meant to encapsulate how the motivation, the root of our salvation, he says, by grace you're saved. If someone were to ask God, God, how did you save me? His answer would be grace. That's how he saved us. Grace encapsulates the entire salvation process. The sending of Christ, the offer of forgiveness, his crucifixion, his resurrection. It's all by grace. Why grace? Because it's unmerited favor. We didn't earn it. We could not earn it. We could not be good enough for it. It is completely unmerited favor of God. From start to finish, the root of our salvation is grace. So we've now answered two basic questions. For what reason did God save us? Because he loved us. What is the root of salvation? How did God save us? Grace. So now let's look at the result. In verse 7, Paul reveals the result of our salvation. We were given yet another reason or result or purpose of our salvation. So that we might be the recipients of of his exceeding riches of grace in his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. This moves beyond the root of our salvation, saving grace, to the result of our salvation, living grace, abiding grace, the grace that not just saves us, but the grace that motivates us, helps us. The result in our life then is to live by grace in our life. God did not just save us from hell, he saved us to guarantee an eternal relationship with us. And that grace that he gives us all along our life is to motivate us and to cleanse us and to help us and give us the strength that we need to become more like Christ. A relationship that guarantees the reception of his kindness in the ages to come. His grace will continue to be poured out on us forever. Amen? Do we deserve that? Of course not. We're sinners. Okay, before we go any further, let's apply this to eternal security. Ask yourself, do I believe that I have the power to thwart the purposes of God? Once God from eternity past has foreseen, has chosen, and has forgiven us, do I have the ability to throw a wrench into the works of God and mess that up? Do I have that ability? If you believe that a man or a woman can lose her salvation, then you believe that a human being can frustrate the eternal purposes of God himself. God has a plan for all those who are dead in trespasses and sins and then have been made alive again with Christ, that he might show that grace to them for all ages to come. He has a plan for them. 
And if we can lose our salvation, and if we can do anything to walk away from that, then we mess up God's plan. We don't have that ability. If we believe that we have the power to put ourselves back into a state of spiritual darkness, it's, that's to believe that we can deny God his own predetermined purpose. What he already saw from ages past would happen. We would be able to change that. It's not possible. It puts us in the driver's seat, and God is just a passenger. And that's not the way it works, amen? Number one, for what reason did God save us? He loved us. What is the root of his, uh, this salvation? How did God save us? By grace. Why did God save us? What is the result of this salvation? That he would continue in ages to come to show the exceeding riches of his grace to us. What is the connection point between God's grace and our dead sinner's heart? How do we get, how do we apply God's grace so that we may be quickened? Well, I titled this one, The Road. The Road. We've eliminated a couple of commonly accepted views of faith and salvation already, by the way. First, we've eliminated faith is not the reason God, that we've said that faith is not the reason that God saves us. What is the reason that God saves us? Somebody tell me. God's love. That's right. Second, we're not saved by our faith. We're saved by what? Grace. He saves us because he loves us. He saves us by grace. The instrument of salvation is grace. And God came up with a plan and carried it through, through Jesus Christ. So how does faith fit into all of this? Faith, if you will, is the road. Connecting God's grace to our sinful need. And Paul clarifies this in verse number 8. Look with me in verse number 8. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. By grace you are saved through faith. And once again we see the role of grace here. By grace we are saved. But then he adds a very important and yet often misunderstood phrase. Through faith. The word through is a very important to understand, understanding how significant faith is to our salvation. Through is translated from the Greek word dia which carries the idea of the means or the agency by which something is done. Or it's been labeled, as I have labeled it, the, ro the road. Uh, a similar term is used in 1 Corinthians 1.21. Uh, he says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The word dia here is translated as by, by the foolishness of preaching. What was the agent used to get them to believe? Preaching was the agent that was used. The message itself did not save them. The message was simply a means by which the saving grace of God was explained to them. And Charles Stanley, I, I like an illustration that he used once. He said, imagine for a moment that you are at the scene of a burning building, you notice a crowd of people shouting and pointing up to one end of the building. And so you run to see what all the commotion is about. When you arrive, you're told by firemen that a woman is trapped on the ledge three floors up. Her only hope is to jump into the net that has been set up right below her. 
as you peer through the smoke and you finally catch a glimpse of the woman. And she's obviously scared and confused. You see the net not too far from where you're standing. It certainly looks strong enough to hold the woman, to catch the woman. And apparently the firemen are confident that if she simply jump, her life will be spared. Suddenly, without uh, without warning, the woman screams and leaps from the building. And the firemen brace themselves to help absorb the impact of the woman's body as she hits the safety net. As the sides of the net are lowered, you see that the woman escaped with only minor injuries. The crowd cheers, and you go on your merry way. Now let's think about this for a moment. What saved the woman's life? The net. The net saved her life. Without the net, she would have died. If we say that uh, if we say who saved her, it was the fireman who was holding the net, I guess you could say. But what saved her was the net. No one would have credited the woman with saving her own life. Unfortunately for her, trained firemen were on the spot who knew how to handle this emergency situation. They formulated a plan and went to work to carry it out. But what bridged the gap between her need and the provision waiting below? One desperate leap. Faith. However, faith didn't save her. Her leaping didn't save her. Many people have jumped from burning buildings only to end up dead on the pavement below. The net and the firemen saved her. So it was with faith or through faith or through leaping. Faith doesn't save a person. God's grace is what saves them. Our faith, however, is the thing that bridges the gap between our need and God's provision. Specifically, it's a point in time at which the expression of faith in Christ brings God's provision together with our need. Once the woman jumped, she was saved. Once once we believed, we are saved. I imagine a woman who went through an experience such as the one described would always have faith in firemen and their nets. (laughs) But even if she didn't, the fact remains that she was still saved from them, by them. The same way in all probability a Christian who has expressed faith in Jesus Christ and experienced forgiveness of sin will always believe that forgiveness is found through Christ. But even if he doesn't, the fact remains that he is forgiven. It's true that the same woman could find herself caught in a different fire. And it's equally true that the degeneration of her faith in firemen and nets could be deadly if she didn't believe in them anymore. But a man or woman who has been rescued once from the state of unforgiveness doesn't need to worry about the same thing. For once 100% of a man's sins have been forgiven, once a person's sins have been forgiven 100%, the potential of being unforgiven has been done away with. Amen? When we accept God's forgiveness, we accept the forgiveness of all of our sins. The payment was made before any of us were alive, and therefore it was applied 100% into the future. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are accepting the payment, the forgiveness of that sin for every sin we will commit, past, 
present, and future. They are paid. Walking away or deciding we're not going to believe anymore doesn't make that unforgiven anymore. Doesn't make that unpaid for all of a sudden. Faith is simply the way we say yes to God's free gift of eternal life. God does not require constant attitude of faith in order to be saved, only an act of faith, a stepping forward, a reaching for. One more imperfect illustration may be helpful. If I could have a tattoo put on my arm, I don't plan to do that, but if I chose to put a tattoo on my arm that would involve a one-time act on my part, yet the tattoo would remain with me indefinitely. Now, I know that modern technology says we can remove them and such, but they still leave somewhat of a scar and such. But I don't have to maintain an attitude of fondness for tattoos to ensure that the tattoo remains on my arm. You understand what I'm saying? If I, if I change my mind the minute I receive it, I think probably the moment that I felt that pain, I would probably change my mind. But that doesn't change the fact that I have chosen to do that, and I committed that, and it's there. My request for the tattoo and the tattoo itself are two entirely different things. Now, it's an imperfect illustration, an illustration of something permanent that stays on our body. And I receive that by asking or paying for it. But asking for my money back or changing my attitude about it doesn't make it undone. Forgiveness or salvation is applied at the moment of faith. It is the same thing. It is, excuse me. It is that moment of faith makes it permanent, that salvation for all, that forgiveness for all of time. Its permanence is not contingent upon my permanence of faith for what reason did God save us he loved us what was the root of our salvation or how did God save us by grace how did God save us what was the result of our salvation that he would continue in ages to come to show the exceeding riches of his grace to us what is the connection point the road between God's grace and our dead sinner's heart faith. The next important thing to look at here is the gifting of this salvation or keeping with the R's the remitting of that salvation. Paul tells us in verse number 8 for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves it is the what? Gift of God. It's important to understand the process by which we receive salvation. It was a gift. Nothing by which we have done we just connect to that gift by reaching out in faith and taking it. The moment we express our faith in Jesus Christ, we are gifted salvation. There is some disagreement over what it in that phrase is pointing to. It is the gift of God. But I believe it's talking about the entire process of salvation. The whole thing. The grace, the faith, the whole thing. Salvation is a gift. There are no strings attached. Just needs to be received. That's all. If you place a condition on a gift, it's no longer a gift. It's a trade or a transaction. 
If you say that this gift can be removed or taken away based on some condition, is to say that it wasn't a gift in the first place. A gift is just given and received. Once a gift is given, it's ours. What we do with that gift after that is another matter entirely. I can take a gift and I can bury it in the backyard, but it's still mine. It's still mine. It belongs to me. What if I try to give it back to the person? It's still my gift. And really, that would depend upon the giver accepting the return, right? If they say, no, no, I don't want it back. It's still yours. (laughs) And guess what? In the case of salvation, God makes it abundantly clear that God has a strict no-return policy. John 6, 35-37 says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He will in no wise cast them out. Romans 11.29 tells us, For the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Repent means to change the mind. God says the gifts of God and the callings of God, God will not change his mind about it. He is the God that never changes. There is no verse or statement or biblical illustration that shows that God has ever taken from a believer the gift of salvation once it's been given. None. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why would he take it back? That which he came to give and died and paid such a price to do. Faith is the spiritual hands by which we accept that gift at the moment of salvation. Have you accepted that gift of salvation? Don't wait any longer today, amen? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You have the opportunity to be saved by grace. The way you can connect that is by through faith accepting that gift, coming to the Lord and praying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I have fallen short. But I know your word tells me that you have sent your son to die for me. Even while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And I, by faith, am reaching out and taking that gift. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a definite answer. So number one, what was the reason that God saved us? Because he loved us. What is the root of this salvation? How did God save us? By grace. How did God save us? What is the result of the, or excuse me, why did God save us? What is the result of this salvation? And don't miss the beauty of this statement that's said here. That he would continue in ages to come to show the exceeding riches of his grace to us. What a statement, amen? What a statement. That's why he saved us. Not because we're so good but because he wanted to shed his grace upon us every day from now to eternity. What is the connection point? What is the road between God's grace 
and the dead sinner's heart, faith. It is through faith that we're able to accept this gift. What does the remitting of this gift show us? That it's a gift. It cannot have strings attached to it. It's a gift. It cannot be returned. It's a gift. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. It's a gift. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this passage. And boy, what a rich passage it is, these verses. We thank you, Lord, that you are rich in mercy. Your mercies are new every morning. And that by, because of your great love for us, you sent your Son to die for us. Even when we were dead in sins, you quickened us together. You made us alive again by grace. We were saved. Now, Lord, we can be raised up together to sit together in heavenly places with Christ. That you would pour out that grace upon our lives from now until eternity. That we can not only be saved by grace, but we can live by grace. What a beautiful life that is. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. If there's anybody here who has not made that connection between their sinful need and your grace, may they do it today. May they step out today and say, Lord, I believe. I call on you and I trust in you. But by your grace, you will save us. I pray you do that work in the lives. And Father, for those that have struggled with doubting their salvation or wondering if they could walk away from your great love. May they be encouraged by these great verses and so many more in Scripture that tells us that it's a gift. It cannot be returned. It cannot be brought back. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to then work and live for you as grateful recipients of that grace. And be busy serving you in every way and any way that we can. I pray that you would bless us now today, as Lord, as we go into the rest of our week. Help us to be mindful of the grace of God, first of all. That you are giving us right now to be able to handle the situations that you called for us to handle. And to live by your grace. But also let us be mindful of those around us who have not received the saving grace of God. Help us to see those around us who need to hear the truth. May we carry with us some tracks in our purses or in our pockets that we can give the message of the gospel to those that need to hear and share the truth of God to them that they might receive that true gift of grace as well. We thank you, Lord, for that you have saved us, not by any merits of our own, not by any works that we have done, not by living good enough, because we cannot live good enough, but by just solely by your grace we are saved. We thank you for that. I pray that you help us to live like we are called to live as Christians. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing one verse of invitation before we...